In alignment with the will of God, faith as a mustard seed moves mountains. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. It's a simple question, at least I think it is. Maybe it's not so simple. We'll look at it. But here's the, the question right here. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Do you trust God? I know a lot of you are saying, yes, I do. I believe. I have faith. I trust God. And I know many of us here do. We do believe. We wouldn't be here if we didn't believe, if we weren't trusting in God. So why do you ask that? Of course we believe. Of course we trust God. Of course we have faith. But let me ask this one more time. Let me put it this way then. Do you really trust God? Do you really trust God? And here's the question. Do you trust God when life gets hard? You know, it's easy. We were talking about this in, uh, in Wonder Lake Bible Institute this morning here. We're talking about faith and believing in God that, that you know, it's, it's easy to have faith. It's easy to believe. It's easy to trust God when things are going well, right? But what about when things aren't going so well? What about when life is hard? What about when you get that health diagnosis you didn't want to hear from the doctor? What about when you are struggling with financial stresses? What about when there are problems with the relationships in your family or in your friends? Do you trust God? Do you really trust God when it seems like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? Has anybody ever had that experience here, feeling like you pray And it's just like you're wondering, is this getting through to you, God? He doesn't seem to be answering. He's silent. By the way, we often say unanswered prayer. Is there really any such thing as an unanswered prayer? No. It just may be it's not the answer we want at that point. And so we call it unanswered, right? Maybe something that we have to wait for, and we become impatient waiting for God. But it's not unanswered. So do you really trust God then when life gets hard? Do you really trust God when you're faced with a seemingly impossible situation? A seemingly insurmountable problem? Do you believe God then? Or do you feel like maybe, you know, my faith needs to be, yes, I do believe, but I must admit, I don't always believe as I should. And I want to grow. I want to grow in my faith and my belief. That's what we're going to look at today as we continue our study here in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ here, our study here in this harmony of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John put together for us here into one flowing chronological account of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking here today, help my unbelief. This is one of my favorite stories in the scripture, in the life of Jesus, something that occurs there, something that I can relate to, and I bet many of us here can relate to as well. 
We're finding it in Matthew chapter 17 and Mark 9 and Luke 9, a harmony of those accounts here. And here is the key idea that I want us to take away from the message today. And that is, in alignment with the will of God, faith as a mustard seed moves mountains. In alignment with the will of God, and that's critical, isn't it? Faith is a mustard seed. What does that mean? Well, we'll look at that. Moves mountains. Literally? Well, we'll look at that. In alignment with the will of God, faith as a mustard seed moves mountains. Before we look at our text here, some context. Jesus had taken Peter and James and John with him up on a mountain where he was transfigured before them, where his glory shone, where he was seen to have the glory like he had before he came into this world and the glory that he has now, again, that he has left this world. He was transfigured before them, and the disciples saw that. And he talked there with Moses and Elijah, Moses representing the law, Elijah the prophets. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. It was a true mountaintop experience, wouldn't you say, for Peter and James and John? Ever had that? One of those? Now, I don't suspect you've ever seen Jesus transfigured before you talking with Moses and Elijah, have you? But we have all probably had at one time or another some kind of what we might call a mountaintop experience, right? Just a moment of, just, of spiritual exhilaration. Can you imagine what that must have been like for those disciples, for Peter, James, and John, to see Jesus in this way, to see Moses and Elijah talking with him? A true mountaintop experience. But you know what the problem with mountaintop experiences is? While we're having those, what else is going on? Life is still going on like usual down below at the bottom of the mountain, isn't it? And so we're going to see that, what happens here then. So now Peter and James and John are coming down the mountain with Jesus. But now it was time to come back down from the mountain, and we'll see what happened when they came back down from that mountaintop experience says, now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that he came to the disciples and he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. And immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? So here then now we see a dissent and disputes. Dissent and disputes. That here Jesus, Peter, James, and John come down from the mountain. And what do they see? More disputes, more arguments. The scribes are giving the disciples a hard time. About what? We don't know. But probably, if I know my scribes, they're probably telling the disciples about how they've got it all wrong and they're doing it wrong and they don't understand the scriptures at all, right? And, make it, and saying you're, you're, you're probably accusing them of something wrong that they're doing or teaching or saying, right? Probably that. So they come down, descent, and they find disputes. What a surprise, right? What a surprise that this is going on. Boy, I tell you, if you're Peter or James or John, you come down, talk about a buzzkill. There it was, right? 
There it was. You know, this might not be unlike Moses, right? Remember when Moses was on Sinai, he received the Lord, he was, or he received the law, he was in the presence of the Lord. In fact, what, even his face glowed with the glory of the Lord. Can you imagine that? There's another mountaintop experience, right? But he comes down, and what does he see? There are the people, and what do they do? They're building an idol, right? See, that's the problem with mountaintop experiences, right? We have to come down. And when we do, what do we find? Life going on like usual down below at the bottom of the mountain, as it always does, right? Problems, issues, disputes, arguments. The people see Jesus then. And they were excited. They were thrilled. They were greatly amazed. Now, some commentators have wondered, why were the people so amazed when they saw Jesus? Well, it's possible perhaps there was still some kind of transfigurative glow (laughs) about him that he had. Just like when Moses came down, the, the glow of the Lord was on his face. Perhaps there was that. That's possible. Or it may just simply be that they were thrilled and amazed to see him because he had been gone and they had heard about him and now they were coming to see him. He wasn't there. Oh, it's just his disciples. It's not him. But now, oh, there he is now. So they see him then. Jesus asked the scribes, what are you discussing? Again, I'm sure they were taking issue with something the disciples had said or were doing. But before they could answer... People need came calling. So here at the bottom of the mountain were the disputes and the arguments, but then also the ever-present crush of human need. Human need came calling. You know, we'd like to stay on that mountaintop, wouldn't we? But we must return to everyday life, which is full of problems and needs. So before the scribes could answer what they were disputing about, look what happened. It says, Then suddenly a man from the multitude cried out, saying, Teacher, I implore you, have mercy on my son who has a mute spirit, for he is my only child. He is an epileptic and suffers severely. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, It throws him down and convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I brought him to your disciples that they should cast it out. But they could not cure him. And then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring your son here to me. So we saw a dissent and disputes, and now we see fruitless efforts, fruitless efforts on the part of the disciples to cast this wicked spirit out of this boy. This man was distraught. This father was distraught with the presence of this wicked spirit, but also what this spirit was doing to his son. The boy had a mute spirit. He was unable to speak. 
By the way, it's interesting, we're told there in the text, the man, the father says, he is an epileptic and he suffers severely. Why is that significant here? That this father says he has an evil spirit, a wicked spirit, and then he also says he's an epileptic and he suffers severely from that. Why is that significant, do you think? Well, because in those, some days, you know, people look at this, oh, those super silly, superstitious people back then, and even today, they want to, you know, they, what, what are simply medical conditions, they didn't understand that. They weren't sophisticated enough to know that. So they would just attribute some kind of medical condition to being a spiritual problem, like having a demon, that it was a demon that was causing that. But what do we see here? They knew what epilepsy was, and could recognize that, and that this boy had it, but they also knew what? That that wicked spirits were real, and you could have a wicked spirit as well. The two were not mutually exclusive, nor did a medical condition explain it entirely, right? So they saw he's an epileptic, but he also has a wicked spirit. And so then... This man is deeply troubled by what's happening because it seems that this particular demon was a particularly wicked and vicious spirit who sought to harm the boy and even kill him. And so the man had brought his son to the disciples, but they were unable to cast out the spirit I wonder, well, wait a minute, I thought, we read earlier, we saw how Jesus had given his disciples the authority and the power to cast out wicked spirits. Remember, he had sent them out, and they had done that. They were preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and they were healing, and they were casting out spirits. They were doing what Jesus was doing. He authorized them, empowered them to do that. And they went out, they did it. In fact, remember, they even came back to Jesus. They were amazed. And they were so excited at the success they had had in this. Remember, they came to Jesus and they were, they were saying, Lord, they, they were just amazed at how the, even the demons were listening to them. But what did Jesus say to them? He said, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you but rather rejoice in what? That your names are in heaven. Right? That they had, their names are written in heaven. That, was what, that they had eternal life. So don't rejoice that the demons listen to you when you speak to them and you cast them out. Rejoice that you have eternal life. That's what's most important. That's what you should rejoice about. See, I think that might say something, and it gives us some insight into what was going on here a little later with this fruitless effort. Do you think the disciples, as they were seeing this, they might have thought, wow, look at this. We can command, and even the demons obey us when we command them. Do you think they might have thought, wow, look at us, look at me, look at what we can do. I think so. And said, Jesus, don't, don't rejoice at that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice that you have eternal life. So I think the fact they were rejoicing in that might 
give us some insight here into why they were unable then to do it in this case. So yeah, they'd had great success before, but not in this case. In fact, their efforts are fruitless. And Jesus immediately identifies the problem as being unbelief. Unbelief? But we're the disciples. You've empowered us and authorized to do this. What do you mean, unbelief? Look at what Jesus says to them. He says, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? I think he's talking to the people there, but who, who's included in that? His disciples. Faithless and perverse? Wow, that seems a little harsh. You sure that's right, Jesus? Hmm. What happens? says what? Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, as he was still coming, the demon immediately threw him down and convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. So here the boy is brought to Jesus, and the demon reacts violently because he knows what's up. He's told this has been happening for a very long time. The spirit tries to throw him into the fire and the water to try to kill him. Imagine the terrible experience that was for that boy to have, but how about for his father, seeing this happening, constantly having to watch him, wondering what might happen next? Do you think that father had ever pulled his boy out of the fire or out of the water? Sure he had. So now in desperation, he comes to Jesus. But isn't it interesting, and I read it this way deliberately because I think it should be read that way, the father comes to him. Does the father have faith in Jesus? Of a sort, right? But look at what he says. He says, you know, your, your disciples couldn't help. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That's not exactly a ringing endorsement of trust in Jesus, is it? Now, there's something there. But he says, what? If you can do anything, you know, I, I'm not sure if you can or not. I think you might be able to, though. Again, not a ringing endorsement of faith, is it? He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. He had enough to bring him to Jesus in the first place, but not enough to be confident once he got him there, right? 
And I love how Jesus responds. You think Jesus noticed that word if there? Oh, yes, he did, because what does he say? If you can believe, if you can do something, Jesus, and Jesus says, if you can believe, right? If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And I love this reply of the Father here, where he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Can you relate to that? Remember I said earlier, I said, do you believe, do you trust God? Oh, yes, yes, I do, yep, I trust God. I said, no, no, do you really trust God when, when life gets hard, when the situation just seems impossible? That's when you need trust the most. And that's probably when I have, and I'm sure many of us here have cried out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We do believe, but we recognize the weakness of our faith at times when it gets tested, don't we? And sometimes God, well, not sometimes, He, he often tests our faith, doesn't He? But He doesn't. Why does, he, God, why does God test our faith? In order to strengthen us and to build that faith. And so then, The man says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He's crying out saying, you know, I I do believe that. I just, I need your help. I need help to really believe the way I need to believe. I can't do it myself. I can't believe that way myself. I need your help, Jesus. Help me, Lord. Help me to believe the way you want me to believe. I've been there. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose And he gave him back to his father. And the child was cured from that very hour. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. So here we see then the expulsion of the demon. Jesus quickly rebukes this unclean spirit and he commands it to come out of him. And most importantly, not to come out of him and what? And enter no more. Leave this child forever. The demon cries out. He convulsed the boy and comes out of him. The boy looks like he's dead. But Jesus lifts him up and gives him back to his father. And what? He was cured from that very hour. The people were amazed. And it says they were amazed at the majesty of God. You know, when we look at the miracles in Scripture, the miracles that Jesus performed, there were many different reasons why Jesus performed miracles. Some of the time it was simply to uh, be a show or an expression of compassion in healing someone. Oftentimes it was to reveal something about his identity, who he was as Messiah, as the Son of God. It was, sometimes it was in fulfillment of Scripture that he was doing that fulfillment of prophecy. 
But one thing that these all have in common is, is God does something unusual. It's an unusual display of God's power that ultimately points to the majesty and the wonder and the glory of God. So a true miracle points to the majesty of God, brings awe and amazement as people as they see the majesty of God in this. So the people saw that then. But then something interesting happens after that. It says, And when he had come into the house, his disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So here we see then faith as a mustard seed. Faith as a mustard seed. The disciples come, they say, Jesus, you gave us this power and authority. We had gone out, we had done this before, and now this man brings this one to us, and we just couldn't do it no matter how hard we tried. Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said something that I am sure shocked them. He said, because of your what? Unbelief. Unbelief. What do you mean because of our unbelief? Now, we, just, we, we, we say belief or, or, or faith, we'll sometimes we'll describe it as what? As being confident. The fact that the disciples were amazed that they couldn't do this, does that indicate a lack of confidence on their part? No, it shows what? They were actually very confident, weren't they? They were shocked they couldn't do it. The problem wasn't like, well, we're not really sure if we can do this or not, right? Um, no, they were very confident, and they're amazed they couldn't do it. And now Jesus says, because of your unbelief. What? They believed they can do it, and they couldn't understand why it wasn't happening. Well, it's true that belief or faith is confidence. But it's confidence in, in God. It's not confidence in ourselves right so could the problem have been oh they had lots of confidence but they were confident in themselves right they were confident in themselves so jesus says well that's that's no belief belief is confidence in god and god's power in fact he goes on and says what and i tell you Assuredly, you know, Jesus says, assuredly, truly, truly, listen up, this is important, right? If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Wow, faith is a mustard seed. Well, what is a mustard seed? It was a very, very tiny little seed. It was one of the smallest seeds there is. The smallest seed they knew. So it's a very, very small seed.
But that mustard seed becomes a small, and Jesus uses it a parable. He says, what, you plant this tiny little mustard seed, and it becomes this huge plant. And he used that to, as a parable to say that would be like the kingdom of heaven, that it would start off as something very, very small, but it would grow into something massive. And so now he says here then, if you have faith, even, even a tiny, tiny little bit of faith, that's enough to move mountains. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said move mountains? Well, to move a mountain was, in fact, we'll even use it still today. It's a metaphor meaning what? To do something seemingly impossible. A seemingly immovable object. A seemingly unresolvable problem. It says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, even a little bit of real faith Nothing will be impossible for you. But then he says, however, in this case, this particularly wicked demon they were dealing with, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So here they were. They were confident in themselves. The Spirit was not going to listen to them. They don't listen to you or me. Who do they listen to? They listen to God. And so their confidence was in themselves. I'm sure the Spirit laughed at them. But it couldn't laugh at Jesus, could it? But this kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Sometimes it's a battle. And our confidence has to be in God. The prayer is indicative of what? Of their trust in God and not themselves or their own abilities. If you have faith as a mustard seed, what is mustard seed faith? You know, mustard seed is a very small seed. And by the way, someone, coincidentally enough, it was a few weeks ago now, I think, someone put uh, a little mustard seed in my mailbox in the church office. So who, did someone, did, did you do that? Someone here? Somebody did it. I know one of you did. Somebody did that, okay? And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, okay, was, are you trying to say something to me or what, what is this? I don't know. But anyway, but here's this, this little mustard seed. You know, I saw this. I thought, well, there it is. There's a reminder, right? How the little, the kingdom of heaven, the little becomes great, but also, though, faith is a mustard seed, moves mountains, does the seemingly impossible, right? So what is mustard seed faith? Well, it's simply this. It's genuine faith in God's power and God's will. Real faith believes in God's character in God's purposes, and in God's power, right? Trusts those things. Regardless of how things may look, or even what we may think or want, real faith is trust and confidence in God's power, in God's purposes, God's promises. So mustard seed faith is even a little bit of faith Real deal faith in God's power, God's purposes, God's promises. Even a little bit of genuine faith. God, and again, it's not our faith. Does faith move mountains? No, God moves mountains. But it's even a little bit of faith in God to do that. He responds then and moves those mountains. How many of you think, yeah, I have, I have mustard seed faith, but I'd like to have bigger... I think we all want our faith to grow, don't we? We all want our faith to grow. 
So I want to issue to us here today something to think about, three, three challenges for growing in true faith. Three challenges for growing in true faith. Do you want to have greater faith? Now, before you answer that, are you sure? All right. Why do I say, are you sure? Because you're going to be tested. Exactly, right? Okay, now who's with me? Who wants to have greater faith? Okay, do I still with me? All right. Well, here's just some challenges I'd like us to, to help us then to grow in our faith. Number one is accept that the, and this is, this is key and foundational, accept that the sovereign will of God is always better than your own desires. Accept that the sovereign will of God is always better than our own desires. Why? Because often as we say, oh, I want to grow in faith because what we're really thinking is, is, well, I've got my agenda, I've got my desires, so I just want to have greater faith so that my desires will, so that God will give me my desires. Is that how this thing works? Nope. See, God wants to move mountains in our lives. But not so that he can give us our own desires, but so that what? He can give us his desires for him, his will for us. By the way, and as we are trusting God with our desires, what will he do with our desires? He will mold them and change them so that, our, so that his desires become our desires, right? So first off, do you believe, do you really believe that what God wills for you is better than what you want? See, if we're going to have great faith, it's got to start right there, doesn't it? Believing that what God desires is always better. Now, you may think, of there, you know, think oh, God wants, oh, so if I, want, um, if I want a Chevy, God wants to give me a Cadillac. No, not necessarily. You may want a Chevy, but God is going to give you a 1975 Pinto. Remember those things, right? How many of you know, I'm not kidding, that that may sometimes be God's will, right? It's a lesson, lesson, (laughs) right? Care for what you ask for. But do you believe that? Do you believe that God's sovereign will is always better than your own desires? You know what? That's something I've had to learn over the years. I'm still learning. In fact, I I remember, now here's something. uh, I've, uh, I really... I don't do this very much anymore, sometimes a little bit, but not anymore. But when I was younger, I had this habit of arguing with God, debating with God. Anybody else ever do that, argue, debate with God? You think you know better than God does, right? I think I remember, I've, I've told you this story before, but there's a good friend of mine um, when we were in high school together, and, uh, and I knew his mother well. And anyway, when we had, after he graduated from high school, and I had gone off, then I was, I was a student then at Moody, and so my friend was telling his mom that, that, oh yeah, Dan, yeah, he's gone to Moody, and he's studying to become a pastor. And you know what his mom's reply was? Dan? <laughs> a pastor? He'd argue with God all the time. And you know what? It's funny, it's an amazing insight that woman had right there, you know she was, she was right. I had, you know, it's like, yeah, she was right. I like to argue with God. She saw me, even in high school, she saw, oh, he's a guy that would argue with God. 
But God had his way. And believe me, I fought God. Anybody here, has anybody had the experience of Jacob wrestling with God until your hip gets uh, taken out of joint, out of socket? Yeah. But you know what the result of all of that was? As I came to this place in my life, and I need to get reminded of it from time to time, but I really do believe, well, wait a minute, oops, I shouldn't say that. Let's just say, I think I really do believe that the sovereign will of God is always better than my own desires. Do you believe that? That is great. If we're going to grow in our faith, we've got to believe that what God wills is always better than our wills. No matter how it may look in the short term. Because remember, God isn't just looking at the here and the now. What is he looking at? Forever. Forever. Eternity, right? Next thing I would say is this. You've, you've heard this before. You know these things. But what? Persevere in the biblical spiritual disciplines. We persevere. It means what? We don't quit. We, we keep going. We don't give up. We keep going in the biblical spiritual disciplines. What are they? The disciplines are these are the tools that God has given us to grow in our faith. And what's number one on that, I would say, is his word, the word of God. We've got to be in the word of God. We've got to hear the word of God. We've got to read the word of God. We've got to study the word of God. We've got to meditate on the word of God. We've got to obey the word of God, right? If we want our faith to grow, we need to be regularly in the word of God, hearing it, studying it, reading it, meditating on it, obeying it. Our faith can't help but grow when we know the word of God. And when I say know the word of God, I don't, just don't mean in our minds. It's what? It's, it's from the heart. It's obedience. See, we get to know God. We get to know him personally, profoundly. And our faith can't help but grow the better that we know God personally and profoundly. Right? So the word of God, scripture, prayer, worship, fellowship, Service, all of these things, as we persevere in these things, these are things God uses to build us up in our faith, to have great faith. And the last thing I would say today is this. Remember, remember, remember. God tells his people again and again to remember, to remember these things that that he has done, to memorialize it. You know, I think that's important for us too, isn't it? To remember the things God has done in our lives. Maybe keep a list. If you don't, write it down. And when you're feeling discouraged, you're running, here's the, you're facing this mountain here. You want this, this seemingly impossible situation here. You want God to answer, to move that mountain for you. Take a look at a, take, take a, look at a list you've made of everything that God has done in the past, right? Remember. Remind yourself often, remember, remember, remember the faithfulness of God in the past. Well, so what? Well, I'll take us where we started, which was in alignment with the word of God, or in alignment with the will of God. Will of God and the word of God kind of go together, don't they? But in alignment with the will of God, faith as a mustard seed moves mountains. When we are accepting of God's will... When we have faith, when we have genuine faith in God's power and God's promises and God's purposes, even a tiny little bit of it, genuine faith, God responds to move mountains and do the seemingly impossible in our lives. 
So I challenge us with, again, accept the will of God. I don't know how to tell you to do that. I can tell you the way that this has come about in my life was through the painful experience of having sometimes, having hopes and dreams crushed, only so that God can then point me in a different direction and and give me greater joy than I thought possible, right? Greater satisfaction than I thought possible. Accept the will of God. Persevere in the disciplines, reading the scriptures, worshiping, prayer, fellowship with other believers, service. And remember, remember what God has done. Make a list. If you haven't done it, make a list of all the ways God has been faithful to you in the past. And review that. Review that regularly. So that perhaps our mustard seed then will grow into a giant plant of faith in our lives. There was one other story I was going to tell, but you know what? I'm looking at the clock. I just might make you wait till next week to hear that story. All right? Here we go. Move mountains. Move mountains then. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, we acknowledge that too often our faith is in ourselves or in other people, other circumstances, other things. But Lord, I pray that we would grow in true faith, genuine faith, that truly trusts you and your will and your purposes, believes in your power, believes in your purposes, believes in your promises. May we grow, may we have mustard seed faith even, that grows to become a great faith, that you will then act in response to that, Lord, to do the impossible, to move mountains. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.